John Maxwell, some of you may recognize that name. He was a pastor and leadership consultant, still is. And he was being interviewed uh, along with his wife for a faith-based magazine. And they turned to her and asked, does John make you happy as a spouse? Uh, does he make you happy? And she said, actually, no. <laughs> it was an awkward moment. She said, uh, has the relationship been rewarding? Yes. Has it been satisfying? Yes. Have we been better because we've been committed in a covenant relationship? Yes, absolutely. But John does not make me happy. I choose to be happy. I choose to be happy. And you know, it got me thinking about this question, and so I want you to think about it with me. And it's not a trick question. Can God make you happy? Can God make you happy? And I want to suggest to you that the answer is no. In the truest sense of the question, I believe the answer is no. And you're thinking, Tim, that's counterintuitive. That, that almost sounds blasphemous. But, but hear me out. I do not believe that my happiness is God's responsibility. I don't. Is the relationship rewarding? Absolutely. Am I fulfilled as a follower of Jesus Christ? You better believe it. But my happiness is not God's responsibility. In fact, some theologians have tried, prosperity theologians have tried to make us think that, that God's going to make you happy if you will give to a specific ministry. He's going to bless you with a nicer vehicle and nicer home and a lot more financial prosperity. But that's, that's not really biblical. I want to suggest to you that well, my wife could not be here today, but the theologian Delia Stephan said it well. God can't make me happy. He is my happiness. And so, you know, is it God's job to make me happy circumstantially to make sure everything goes right? I'd be careful if your answer is yes, because things may not go the way you want, and I, I'm not sure God's called to make us happy. I think he's called to make us holy, set apart for his purposes. Now, there is a delineation between happiness and joy, and, and you've heard some of these delineation explanations. I mean, like, um, happiness is what happens to me. It's the happening, the circumstances of my life. And if we believe that God's responsibility has to do with our happiness, some of us here, honestly, may not be real happy with God. You may feel very let down. And, and there's two responses 
There's a couple of responses to that. One is that we become angry because we think that God is responsible for our happiness, and so he's let us down in our mind, and we reject him. We're angry. Or we simply just, maybe in a non-conscious way, drift away. And yet, Paul says to the church at Galatia, there are some characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, byproducts of God's Spirit living in us. And those characteristics are really the characteristics of Christ. And Pastor Brenda read those out loud, and I think they're important. And last week we talked about love and how love is foundational. It was no mistake that that was the first one in the list. But then he moves on to joy. And I I think it's helpful to define joy. It goes back to God can't make me necessarily happy circumstantially. He is my happiness. He is my joy. It is seated in my relationship with the one who created me. And I am a child of God. That is where my joy is founded. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, over the next couple of minutes, I ask that your Holy Spirit would help us to see how these fruits of the Spirit can be cultivated and specifically joy. Help us to open ourselves up to make room for authentic joy. And even if if we have to push through and fight for it, Lord, help us to fight for joy in the midst of the world that we're living in and the discord with a disease. But Lord, even on an individual level in our own personal lives and the brokenness we experience, I pray that somehow we can lay claims to that which you promised, that your joy would be made complete in us. And so work in the midst of the Scripture and all that we share today. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, so let's take a look at joy. And, 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 and you can't really help but run to the book of Philippians. I mean, it's subtitled, really, the book of joy. And yet, circumstantially, Paul has every reason to feel unhappy. Think about Paul, the apostle, one who helped to to father the church, to to nurture the church, and planted churches uh, all over the world as it was known. He encountered five times what was called 39 lashings where he was whipped and his very flesh was torn off his body because of his faith. Think about the three times he was beaten with a rod, shipwrecked multiple times, uh, stoned by angry mobs and left for dead, had insufficient water and food, and now he's writing from a Roman prison. And as he writes, he has every right to say, my life stinks, or whatever S word you want to put in there, okay? He has every right to feel like he's been victimized, to have self Pity. But if you look with me in that fourth chapter, 
verse 10 and following. Really, let's jump to verse 11. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content. I have learned contentment. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. If I could talk to Paul, I'd say, now you know, it's rude to keep a secret. <laughs> Tell us, Paul, what, what is that secret? And you know, the beautiful thing is that he takes the entire epistle that he has written to answer that question. He really has said, I have shared with this secret, and I know this secret in real life, authentically, genuinely. I know the secret of contentment. And I think Paul would help us to understand that to make room for joy means that we've got to be honest about life, and life is hard. Life is hard. It is not easy. And we have an opportunity to respond one way or the other. I mean, there are times where, when, when we're honest, we say, am I doing something wrong? Did I do something wrong? Uh, did someone, you know, possibly we say someone did something wrong to me. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to claim justice. I believe in justice. But there are those times where we say, we, we've been the victim and, We'll say, why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? Why is everything so hard? And you know, being a pastor for 32 years, I have watched the brokenness of humanity. But you don't have to be a pastor to see it. There are stories that are a part of your life that you hear or that you're living into that are devastating. You've experienced disappointment, discouragement. And Paul speaks of his suffering in the Scripture. And I wonder if he spoke about his suffering so much because he wanted us to understand who were overhearing this letter that he knows life is hard. Why is life so hard? Well, I think there are a couple of good theological answers to that. One is we're a fallen, we have a fallen world. Uh, I, I have uh, this physical structure here is finite. Uh, I am imperfect. Because of the fall of humanity and the people around me are as well. We've got that in common. <laughs> there are no perfect people. And once again, we've said this before. If you think you are, you're in the wrong place. You really are. Because the church is a gathering of broken and needy people. And so if you deal with the finiteness of our humanity and you recognize 
the nature of people, you're well on your way to understanding that life is hard. Because people will will bring you great reward. Relationships will, will be so satisfying. And then there are times where people will break your heart. They'll break your heart. They'll surprise you. They'll disappoint you. They'll speak harshly about you and question your emotion or your uh, your motives. And Paul knew this. Paul understood this that people are going to make bad decisions and sometimes bad things happen to good people. And I think what he's trying to help the believers in Philippi, they were strong believers and they were faithful. But I think he was saying, I had a choice. I know what it is to live with absolutely nothing in my circumstances. I know what it is to live in an abundance. But I have a secret. I have been able to choose how I'm going to respond. And I want to share that secret with you. You know, some of us are gifted at being miserable. <laughs> we really are. I mean, we, if there's a way, we'll find out how to be miserable. And some have the gift of drawing others in with the mob mentality of being miserable as well. Well, it is the worst. Yes, it is the worst. You know. And, and really, in many cases, and I'm not making light and don't want to be Pollyanna, is the decision in terms of our thoughts and how we want to see things. And so I want to suggest to you that thoughts are important. And, and the kinds of thoughts. He, he says, think on these things. Let's hear those again. Choose these things to think about. And it's so hard. When we're hurting, we don't want to think about these things. But he says, brothers and sisters, think about what is true. Think about what is noble. What is right? What is pure? What is lovely? What is admirable? If, if anything's excellent, try to, try to focus on the good. There, there's an exotic jellyfish and there is a unique exotic snail in one part of the ocean in our world. And it's interesting that this particular jellyfish will consume the snail. Now, this unique species of snail has the ability, once consumed, begins to eat on the inside of the jellyfish until it consumes the jellyfish. And so the interesting thing is the one who consumed was consumed by something lesser in size. And I think when we have negative thoughts, when we lock in on, on mottos that we've lived by that are lies from the pit of hell, 
They will consume us and rob us of joy. And so there are those times where I've said it before, you have to fight for joy. That doesn't really sound right, does it? But you do. You have to be intentional about saying, God, where are you in the midst of this? You are my rock and my redeemer. I'm going to hold to you when all doesn't make sense. And I'm going to think, not in an artificial way, I'm going to stand on your promises. I'm going to believe the word of God. You've been faithful, and I believe you will be faithful through it all. And so, joy has to do with the recognition that circumstances aren't always as we would hope, that life is hard, to think good thoughts, which are really prayers, And to be grateful. I think part of Paul's contentment, which points to his joy, is in gratitude. You'll remember Brenda read it. Bring your petitions and your requests to God with thanksgiving. Dale Carnegie years ago some of you may have never heard his name, was in a conversation related to happiness and contentment and choosing that. And and he was asking a fellow that kept thinking that real happiness was kind of out there. If one could obtain the right thing or have the right circumstances, well, then one would be happy. And, And he said... I'd give a million dollars to be happy. And Dale Carnegie said, would you give a million dollars? Could I have your eyes? Let's say hypothetically I could have your eyes. Would you give me a million? He said, no, I I want my eyes. My eyes give me sight. I'm grateful for that. Well, would you give up your hearing for a million dollars? Would you take a million dollars? Well, I I like audibly to, to perceive and in terms of senses and, and, and the things around. I love beautiful music. I, I, don't, I would not give up. And a million dollars back when he asked this question would be like a half a billion dollars. And, and, and he kept going. Would you give up the ability to express yourself? No. Well, it sounds like to me you're fairly content with what you have. <laughs> and you're grateful. And that's part of the struggle for us is, and, and, I, and I do it, I'm, I'm preaching to myself. This sermon is so apropos for me, I really need to take notes on myself today. Uh, this, we, we think joy is something out there. If I can just have the right spouse, if I can just have the right house, if I can have the right car, the right portfolio, the right job. And you see, all of those are out there. But real joy is Christ in me. He is my happiness. He is my contentment. 
if we can think thoughts of gratitude, if we can pray prayers of thanksgiving, if we can seat ourselves in the reality that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, there is joy. John 10.10 said, I did not come to steal, kill, or destroy. I came to give you abundant life, quality of life, which supersedes your uh, circumstances. I came that your joy might be full and that you might be made complete in that joy. And so, you know, those things that are so circumstantial are temporary. They're temporal. But Christ in me is eternal. Today, I want to invite you, if you've not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've not experienced real joy, authentic joy. And the invitation is before you to be open to that joy. And part of that has to do with this. You say, Tim, this is all great about joy and you've helped to define it. But how do I become more open to it? How is that fostered in my life? How is that enhanced as a characteristic of Christ in this list of characteristics called the fruit of the Spirit? And and one is, I would say, celebrate that you are a child of God. Today, just give thanks that you belong to the Lord. And that's the first step. And that He belongs to you. And regardless of your circumstances, He will stand with you. He will hold your hand. He will love you, even in spite of you. The other is to engage Him. John Wesley called these means of grace to glean joy from practices that help to foster that, like reading the Scripture, being in a small group where others are discovering the joy of their and rediscovering the joy of their salvation. And being in a setting like this, there's something about collective joy. It, it can be contagious. That we have moved through a week of challenge and people and difficulties and heartbreak stories, and yet we can come to reaffirm joyfully that Lord, the Lord is sovereign. He is still God. And it's going to be okay. That He sees how it ends and He's got it under control. And then the other I was thinking about this week was, you know, Trinitarian theology says we believe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Somehow mystically, three in one. And I, I want to suggest to you that that there's joy in that picture. There is there's joy in those relationships. God was big on community before community became cool. That was a community. And, and I really believe that the Godhead, the Trinity, finds joy when others are giving of themselves. When Jesus Christ 
said in the garden, not my will but yours be done. I will die on behalf of all of humanity as a living sacrifice and then as atonement on the cross. I believe the Father experienced joy. And I think there is a joyfulness in our purposefulness when we give of ourselves to others. Some would call it a helper's high. I just think God's Holy Spirit in us delights when we care for others. Joy. The joy of the Lord, it is written in Nehemiah, is my strength. I want you to have that joy. I want to have more of that joy. And I want that fruit of the Spirit to be cultivated in me and in us as a church. Let's pray together.